Nick, I can't believe that we've been doing this podcast for four years now. Yeah, it's nuts. Our podcast has now completed an OBGYN residency. Isn't that insane? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't be using our podcast to, you know, diagnose your patients. And certainly if you are a patient listening to this podcast, don't use it to diagnose yourself. But I do think that we have some great information both here and of course on our website. Yeah. So if you're listening today um, at our four-year anniversary, it's not going to be ready just yet, but get ready for a little bit of a revamp of our website with a new feature of playlists that helps to organize all of our content from past and into the future, organizing much, much more succinctly by topic and hopefully getting to things that you really care about, like what should I listen for obstetrics or what should I listen to as a medical student? This will help you become more organized in how you listen to the podcast and help you navigate your way all the way from being a third-year medical student to a sub-I to an OBGYN resident that's running around on the wards. Thanks again for supporting us for all of these four years. We hope to keep it going. All right, guys, so it's fall again, and I know we're just a few months away from CREOGS. Nick, I'm always looking for places to find good information to make sure that my residents have good information for their exams, and also, you know, I continue to refresh my knowledge of OBGYN. Well, yeah, I mean, you're already listening to what I'll say in my humble opinion is the best podcast in OBGYN, but we also <laughs> have some great other resources available through the resident core curriculum with our friends at the OBG project. Definitely. The nice thing about the OBG project is that not only do they have the resident core, they have an OBG L&D ebook and other things like the second trimester ultrasound atlas, all of which you can access for free as a resident if you sign up. Head over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, and again, get the OBG project and all their resources free for all four years of residency. Just, again, head over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com, and get signed up. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is... Creogs over, over coffee. coffee. So guys, today we are going to dive back into the OB world and we are going to be talking about something that I can't believe we haven't discussed before on this podcast, which is the APGAR score. So Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? Yeah, I think, again, one of these things that always is something that pops up as a question, but we should have tackled it a long time ago. But sorry, learning yeah. objectives. Um, <laughs> first, we're gonna actually learn the APGAR score components of this assessment. We'll review what the APGAR score actually means in the context of a neonatal status and delivery. And then finally, we'll reflect on some limitations of the APGAR score. Um, there's an ACOG committee opinion that goes along with this that we will share on the website as a link um, and can serve as additional reading for you. So Faye, what is APGAR? Yeah, so in 1952, uh, Dr. Virginia APGAR, which, you know, this is what it's named after, uh, devised a scoring system to basically rapidly assess the clinical status of a newborn to determine if prompt intervention uh, was required to establish breathing. This is subsequently stuck uh, and is reported at one and five minutes after birth for all infants. Um, it can also be continued after the five-minute interval uh, until 20 minutes for scores under seven to continually assess that newborn uh, to see if there is any additional needs in terms of breathing status. 
The score is, of course, a eponymous for Dr. Apgar, as well as being an acronym. So it must be very convenient, I guess, to have such a name. Um, so we'll go through each of these and we'll talk about the scoring system. So each component can receive zero, one, or two points. So the first part is appearance, which is, is basically color. Um, so two points is if there's a normal color or essentially the baby is pink over their entire body. Uh, they get a point off. So one point if there is normal coloring over the entire body except the extremities, and this is known as acrocyanosis. And then they don't get any points, zero points, if the baby is cyanotic or pale all over. The P is for pulse. So uh, the baby will get two points if the heart rate is over 100, one point if the heart rate is less than 100, and zero points if there is an absent heart rate. Uh, Nick, what about the GAR portion? Sure. So um, the G starts with grimace, and that's a little bit of a stretch, admittedly. The The formal name of it is reflex irritability. So the baby gets two points if there is some sort of evidence of, like, again, this reflex irritability. So a sneeze, a cough, vigorous crying, active withdrawal of the extremities to stimuli. Um, there's only one point given if the baby is grimacing, um, or if there's a weak response overall to that stimulus, and then zero points if there is no response, essentially. Activity is the second A, and this is referring specifically to muscle tone. So two points are given if the baby's actively moving. One point is given for the arms and legs being flexed at least to some degree, so maintaining at least a little bit of tone. And then it's zero points if the baby is hypotonic or limp. Finally, the R is for respirations. And I know in adult medicine, we often think about respirations as like counting out the number of times of breathing, but actually this is also subjective. So two points are given for good effort, a crying baby. One point is given for sort of the gasping baby with irregular efforts or hypoventilation overall. And then zero points, as you might imagine, is for not breathing. Um, you know, Faye, I guess kind of what ultimately does the APGAR score mean? We, I think in medical field, often will joke about this as being like your step zero score, right? Like the first one before, uh, <laughs> before the MCATs, before step one, two, and three. Um, but what actually is the APGAR score useful for? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can never get that perfect APGAR mm -hmm. score either, right? It's always a nine and nine. I've never seen a 10 before. Um, so APGAR score is essentially, it's useful for conveying information about the infant status quickly. So if you know that the APGARs are nine and nine, you're reassured. But it also means that resuscitation needs to be started before the APGAR calculator intervals. You're not waiting until that one minute mark to resuscitate a baby that definitely appears like it needs resuscitation. So the APGAR can be to some degree prognostic. So for example, an APGAR of zero at 10 minutes um, there have been very few reports of infants surviving with normal neurological outcomes with an APGAR of zero at 10 minutes. And it's reasonable to consider discontinuing resuscitative efforts at that point. Um, the five-minute score is generally considered more useful and prognostic than that one-minute score. So a score of seven to 10 is considered reassuring, four to six is moderately abnormal, and under four is abnormal, especially in term and late preterm infants. Um, but we also know that there are some limitations to the APGAR score as well, Nick, and what are those? Absolutely. So 
I think the first that we have to remember is really just as we went through the scale, you know, the score represents one moment in time and there's a degree of subjectivity to those components. So there actually have been studies where inter-observer reliability may not be perfect exactly with that APGAR score. Um, there are also multiple factors that can influence the score and make it kind of a false positive with respect to low scores. So reasons that that might be considered would be things like maternal sedation or anesthesia at the time of delivery, babies that have congenital malformations or genetic abnormalities, and then of course gestational age. Preterm babies just tend to generally perform worse on the APGAR score than term babies. Then you can also think about that biochemical disturbances such as fetal acidemia actually have to be really significant to affect the APGAR score. And if you've been around and delivered a babies or a lot of babies with varying cord gases, you kind of have a sense of this, right? There's always like that category two tracing that like we get to the back and we deliver them and the cord gas like comes out as something that seems really scary to us, like, you know, a, right at a seven zero one or something like that. But then the APGAR score of five minutes is seven. And that's, you know, baby is doing all the normal respiratory compensation. Um, you really have to have mm -hmm. quite a bit of acidemia for that to be the rationale for affecting the APGAR score. Finally, kind of things we have to say too are that a low score on the APGAR doesn't actually predict morbidity or mortality for any individual infant and can't be used alone to diagnose asphyxia. You have to have cord gases to demonstrate poor gas exchange and metabolic acidemia in order to truly diagnose asphyxia. That is, the baby was not receiving oxygen for some reason. And then finally, um, the last limitation that we should talk about are that APGARs are often continued to be assessed during the resuscitation, right? So again, as you mentioned, Faye, we start neonatal resuscitation before that one minute, and then we measure again at five minutes, and potentially five minutes after that, and five minutes after that, going out to 20 minutes. Um, but obviously, the 15-minute score is not equivalent to the one-minute score assigned to a spontaneously breathing infant, right? right? There's not really a standard for reporting the APGARs after the start of resuscitation. Those interventions, putting CPAP on, no kind of doing all the drying and stimming, um, those obviously are going to affect the score. Um, but there's not a standard actually for that. There are expanded APGAR score forms where you basically provide additional information regarding the infant's resuscitation response. And putting that together with the APGAR score can help assess the impact of interventions and the infant's status in light of those. The committee opinion actually has an example of one of these APGAR score sheets that we'll include on the website. And I like to think of it as sort of like a code sheet for neonates. You know, it kind of like prompts you to write down some observations at each of the points where you would be assessing an APGAR score and not just the score itself, but also things like what interventions are being used at that point. Um, I teased it a little bit, Faye, but we should kind of just come back one more time to sort of what the outcomes are after APGAR scoring. I don't think there's anything worse than like pulling out a completely hypotonic cyanotic baby and hearing that the one minute APGAR was a one. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, outcomes after APGAR scoring, I know we kind of said maybe it can be, um, you know, prognostic, but really that one minute APGAR score, like you said, doesn't predict outcomes well at all. So even though the one minute APGAR score, when it's like one and you're like really scared, don't worry, hopefully it'll be better by that five minute mark. 
The five-minute scores of 0 to 3 do correlate with neonatal mortality in large populations, but are not individually good at predicting neurological dysfunction for an infant. Low APGAR scores themselves do seem to correlate at the population level with increased relative risk of things like cerebral palsy, so 20 to 100 times higher risk in uh, babies with an APGAR five-minute score of 0 to 3 versus the 7 to 10 score. Most infants with low APGAR scores do not go on to develop neurologic issues or, or cerebral palsy, so it's really important to remember that. ACOG, however, does recommend that a cord gas be sent for any five-minute APGAR of less than five, and considering sending the placenta to pathology as well to evaluate for any reason that that APGAR score may be so low. The APGARs can also be helpful to monitor for quality improvement programs to assess both obstetric and pediatric response and resuscitation. All right, Nick, I think that kind of brings us to the end of this uh, short APGAR episode. So why don't we go ahead and summarize? Yeah. So again, the APGAR score was devised in 1952 by Dr. Virginia APGAR um, to rapidly assess the clinical status of a newborn with the goal of determining if prompt intervention was required to establish bleeding. It is a five-component score. The acronym of APGAR, APGAR, is for appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respirations. Again, you can have zero, one, or two points. Check out the website um, just to go over sort of what each of those things entails. Now, we know that while that five-minute APGAR score can be more useful or prognostic than the one-minute APGAR score, there are still some limitations of the APGAR, and that's because it really only shows you one moment in time and is subjective in some of its components, um, and more factors can influence the score and make it more false positive, things like you know maternal sedation, gestational age, congenital malformations, etc. A low score doesn't necessarily predict morbidity or mortality for any individual patient and can't really be used by itself to diagnose a Asphyxia. Um, and APGARs are often continued to be assessed during resuscitation, but these aren't obviously equivalent to scores assigned to spontaneously breathing infants. Finally, no, if you have a baby that experiences a poor APGAR score, remember that the one-minute APGAR score does not predict outcomes well at all. And five-minute scores of zero to three, while correlating with neonatal mortality and to some degree with population-level increased risks of cerebral palsy, um, they are not individually good at predicting neurologic dysfunction. And overall, most infants with low APGAR scores do not develop neurologic issues or cerebral palsy. That said, if you have a five-minute APGAR of under five, consider sending the placenta to PATH as well as getting a cord gas. You can use APGARs to monitor QI in both your obstetric and pediatric responses and resuscitations. All right, Faye, well, I think that does it for this short and sweet episode. Once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creags Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreagsOverCoffee one on Instagram and Facebook at CreagsOverCoffee. Or if you love the show, support us. Head over to patreon.com slash CreagsOverCoffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. You can find show notes for this show and all of our other episodes, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website at www.CreagsOverCoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction to this or any of our prior episodes, or just want to say hello, email creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>